0: Welcome to Enroute: A Journey of Faith and Modern Life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host, and this is the podcast where we will explore the who, where, why, what, and how of religion and other topics. Welcome. Well, this episode is kind of a a special one. Um, One of the things that you may not know about me, and I have not—I don't think I necessarily shared on this podcast is that I am on the autism spectrum. I have um, what is called Asperger's. Um, I was um, diagnosed in 2008 at the age of 38. When that happened, uh, that kind of was a godsend because I think it helped answer some questions that I had about my life, some difficulties, difficulties with relationships, both romantic and, and platonic um, struggles on the job, and having that diagnosis was helpful. But I think one of the biggest things that all that was a challenge for me was: could I still be a pastor and on the spectrum? Yeah. A pastor's job is one that tends to be doing a lot of interface with um, people and with all of the kind of social skills that I had, or, or lack thereof, would it still work? Well, that was 13 years ago. I'm still in the ministry, and trying to make it the best way I can. I think I've had some successes, and some times have fallen short. But today, I get to talk to um, a fellow person on the spectrum, um, His name is Dwight Welch. He is an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. And he um, also, I mean, as you can tell, has also uh, been on, has kind of come to terms with being both on, um, being a pastor and being on the spectrum. And so the whole point of today's episode is when we will talk about What are some of the challenges of being a pastor on the spectrum? And also, what are some of the blessings? Because while being autistic can have its challenges, and believe you me, there are challenges, I think that there are also advantages. There are also things that can work out for the good. And so we have a kind of free-ranging discussion about being a pastor, Um, on the spectrum and kind of where faith and autism meet. And um, this will probably be, I'm hoping, one of the first of several um, times that we will get together and talk about uh, faith and autism and where they kind of um, come together, where there are challenges, where there are things that I think give us an advantage So I hope that you will, this will be a time, if you are not on the spectrum, if you're neurotypical, to um, get some insight, because we are not the only pastors on the spectrum. There are many others. Um, Hopefully, this will also help you understand those members in your congregations that might also be um, on the spectrum. And if you are on the spectrum, I hope that this is a time that you can know that you're not alone. And so... um, I hope that this will be helpful for you. So, as I said, we will be having a free-ranging discussion. It's going to be a little bit different from um, the past interviews, but it will be one that will be memorable and I think one that you will be enjoyable as well. So, a little bit about Dwight. He is the campus pastor at um, United, United Campus Ministries in uh, Billings, Montana and um, and that is an ecumenical concern that he has been a part of for a few years now and he lives in Billings with um, his husband uh, Jim. And so now let us hear from Dwayne. Good to talk to you again. It's been a while. it has been so I think to start this off is when did you when were you diagnosed with um, asperger's and what was life like? what led you to that diagnosis what what was happening in your life that made you think I need to get this checked out?
1: So I think we might be similar age I I grew up in the 80s -hmm. and in the 80s Asperger's or was it in the DSM? um, And autism was for a very limited range of kids. Um, But when I was growing up, actually my parents, I lived in foster families. So this is a set of families were kind of freaked out about me growing up as a kid, Um, not academically, but just Mm -hmm.
0: socially. yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah, in fact, I have a letter my possession from my school district saying we're thinking we're going to hold him back in third grade because we don't think he's socially adept enough to go into fourth grade. Uh, but then I changed school districts and that didn't happen. But um, there was a whole bunch of um, concerns. So I was kind of sent to various psychiatrists and psychologists and um, and they came up with this uh, diagnosis that so many kids got in the 80s but I do think it was a true diagnosis but it was a uh, ADHD
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but when you read I actually have a psychological report from when I was ten years old when you read the report it's entirely it's yes it's ADHD but it's also asperger's it's also autism um they just I mean it but the, you know there's a point where you're supposed to draw the House, you're supposed to. You know, uh, you know, I was too perfectionist. I couldn't do it um because I would do it and then I would erase it and I'd do it again. I it was too big of a project. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of let your imagination go, and that was the first you know fail of the test because I didn't really have enough direction to kind of succeed in this. Um, but it happened even after I got ADHD and started taking Ritalin and. On junior high, I had a, 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 a meltdown at one point because I had a teacher just kind of joking, like trying to knock the books out of my, my uh, as I was holding them. Mm-hmm. And I was just beside myself. And they were like, well, that's not a usual response. So off to the child psychologist. Um, but uh, weirdly enough, I did not get formally diagnosed until I went to seminary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, because not that my 20s weren't a period of constant struggle and uncertainty and inability to launch successfully, (laughs) Um, that I was really, really hard on myself um, as my fellow colleagues were and friends and were actually launching. Um, But actually, it happened. This is probably not a surprise during clinical pastoral education (CPE).
0: <laughs> nope, doesn't shock yeah, me at
1: yeah. all. <laughs> yeah, I had my supervisor goes Have you, have you heard of Asperger's? And of course, I read up every single thing I could on it. <laughs> and um, and there's a book, Asperger's from the inside out. And i mm-hmm. and I read that, and it was the first time I was like, "That's me." All of a sudden it wasn't weird that when I was in elementary school, I'd memorized all the presidential elections and which candidate won which state and what the electoral vote was. And that's not because I'm good with memorization, it's because I was so focused on I specialized bits of knowledge. <laughs> I specialized bits of knowledge. Or I remember one time in junior high going, you know. I don't like the fact that I don't remember the 70s and I don't really have a context for understanding the current events I was seeing unfold in the 80s. So I'm just going to read starting from January of 1970, all the news weeks, up to 79 so that I feel like, and this was just my fun time that I <laughs> <on my> own. <laughs> I don't want this to sound like uh, I didn't have, it wasn't across the board in every area. I, I, I didn't have uniform school success or anything. Just if I had an interest, I would just go with it. But, it, but um, so I read this book and I was like, ah, oh. and it also captured the adulthood and some of the struggles. Um, and uh, so that was the basis for seeking a formal diagnosis. And like many folks, it was a very a liberating experience <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, I, you know, my, there were periods Uh, self-defeating stuff career-wise and otherwise in my 20s and 30s that um the 30s was where I started kind of pulling in a trajectory um I really beat myself up over I mean my self-esteem had been pretty knocked down uh that when I realized oh I was this is what I was relating with and I just didn't know it and I didn't necessarily have the tools um Though at one point I do remember, I I did have, I must've had some kind of inkling of something. I remember I always worked at motels. Money is because uh, I realized I liked it. And I was afraid of any other kind of workplace that I didn't already have a familiarity with. And they kind of had their own um, adjustments they would make for me. (laughs) And so I knew it was a safe place that I could always work. Um, And uh, so, I had already asked for uh, accommodations before I had ever heard the term Asperger's or autism. So yeah, it was, and it was, I was on the cusp where I got the diagnosis of Asperger's mm-hmm. and then soon after that, the DSM changed to Put it all together. and, and okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that was kind of my, um, I, like I said, I think I they grew up. I grew up always being a question mark for my teachers um, and foster parents, and how to negotiate this. But um, it came with flip sides. I remember one time I got I got a uh, um, I got uh, in trouble. I had to stay after school with the teacher, and I loved it. I couldn't think of a better thing to do. Can't go out to recess. Have to hang out and talk to teachers. Like, we, we should do this every time. <laughs> I'll hang out, talk to the teachers. <laughs> and one point I think is my fifth grade teacher was like, you know, this is supposed to be a punishment. This is not supposed to be enjoyable. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's. And, and also, once I had the diagnosis, that's when the light bulb turned on. About mm-hmm. Could this be a gift in ministry to lean on? Or is this inherently a barrier that I have to struggle with? So far it's been both. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I was kind of curious your 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 sense of it. When because we're about are you what we're about the same age, I think?
0: Um well I just turned 52 last month.
1: Okay, you're a few years. I'm 49.
0: Okay. But yeah. close, relatively close in age. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was diagnosed around let's see I think the I was 38 when I was diagnosed um and what led me to that diagnosis was kind of like you there were certain positions jobs I had that just did not turn out well um relationships both romantic and otherwise sometimes didn't work well um And so I was just always wondering what's, what's happening here. Um, and what was interesting that this was around 2007, I got a job, um, working in a presbytery, the office for the, for the, um, area presbytery for Presbyterians. And it was doing communications. And a lot of that was a lot of stuff on the computer and, that's where I really felt I thrived and Mm -hmm. it's like, well, this is interesting. Why, why, why is this job working out better than everything else? And um, I started doing some reading myself and um, I think one of the books that I read um, was by John Elder Robinson. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I read it, it's like, Okay, I think that that sounds like me, and I took a test for that and um, did come out um, with Asperger's, and um, it's also interesting because I did take another test about a year or two ago that strangely also said something more about ADHD, Mm -hmm. and the psychiatrist thought, well, maybe it's actually more ADHD than it's asperger's and which is interesting because i find to tend to think that those two tend to be comorbid um mm-hmm. they tend there's a lot of things that they share in common so i don't doubt that i i just think it's not necessarily one or the other i think it can be both um yeah and i think what's interesting has been um for me is and and this has always been interesting is how people understand, if you ever tell them, yes, <laughs> have burgers, especially in the church, but even outside of the church, because at least as far as I know, they don't understand
1: um at all <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> so, I had a ministry context where it was used against me, oh dear, yeah, um, and uh. Uh, but it was a very everything was dysfunctional about this particular ministry setting, so so that wasn't a surprise. So I that was in Kansas, and then I went to to Oklahoma. I'm like, you know what? It's just not safe to talk about it, so I won't. And of course, I have a child psychologist as a member of my church, and within two Sundays, he's like, you, "Are you? <laughs> this is what I'm seeing." <laughs> And I realized I couldn't, I had to kind of be public or try to figure out a way to parlay it in the same same way that I was, the fact that I'm gay. You know, there, there mm-hmm. had to be a way to make this a, a bonus for me and not a <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, the, the when it was used against me, it was a realization um, that, the, yeah, uh, it's kind of, I, uh, kind of an odd situation like I was I was not only acceptable I was more than acceptable in fact a bit of a source of pride that you know you could have a gay pastor and isn't this amazing Um, but when it came to disability all of a sudden these kind of open religious contexts didn't have any language to talk about that and you could see the disappointment because they they really want to have a pastor that's uh, much more, uh, well, uh, my husband, Jim has the term Bob executive. So, so I, you've met these pastors, right? I mean, and especially that some of them are, um, the big steeple churches, you know? Um, and I mean, I, I've been in mainline churches that have over a thousand plus members, especially when I was in Kansas. And there's a certain persona and way of presenting yourself, uh, that makes you a clear upstanding member of the community. And, and that also is a source of pride in some mainline churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my husband is saying, you know, we've been, as a, as Bob executives, don't go to seminary anymore and don't expire to leave churches, at least in the mainline. Um, it's been replaced by Nancy Nerd. <laughs> and Nancy Nerd doesn't fit kind of the ideals of what uh, some of these churches wanted. And so there's this <laughs> uh, weird, uh, not, uh, like great to have a gay pastor, not sure what to do with Asperger's.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can get That's, that. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, they don't, I, I think people can understand um, sexuality a lot more easier than they can um, disability. But And I think especially when that uh, is a disability, like Asperger's, because it's not—it's not something that you can easily pin down and say this is how it how it is. Um, because you know the the old saying is is that if you've met someone with Asperger's, you've met someone with Asperger's. You know, <laughs> everyone is different. There's not a type, and it's just I think it's hard for people to at least put their minds wrap their minds around this and. And especially if you are someone that is, I think how they would say, um, maybe don't don't need a whole lot of supportive services. So you look independent. And so they're thinking, well, what's the problem here? Right? But you don't seem like you have a problem. Um and that's always been a, I think, a challenge for me.
1: Yeah, it's uh because it's a it relates to your one's social skills, which is exactly what a pastor is. So, people kind of lean on for um, that becomes uh, tricky. In a way, not every disability would, would affect social skills, but no. in particular, pastors are seen in that light. So, there, yeah, there isn't a whole lot of uh, allowance, <laughs> which is why it's amazing still to this day. I see almost no literature on the subject of being autistic and in religious leadership. I've basically seen your blog posts, (laughs) and there is an evangelical African American. Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. His first name name is Lamar, Lamar, and I cannot remember his last name. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And he's just got a new book on disability, which I need to get. And there's a new book on autism and faith that came out and is sitting on my shelf to read. And I don't know the person's background. Um, it's Brazos Press. Uh, but for the longest time, you know, when I would look online about like tips, ideas, it would be just be like, well, you shouldn't be in ministry. You shouldn't go. Yes, yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll put you, we'll put you under, <laughs> we'll have you light the candles on Sunday. That's what we do. We're, we're, we're including people, <laughs> not, Audiences, people who theologize and lead worship, and
0: <laughs> yeah. well, I, I think that's the people have this belief because ministry and ministry is social. I mean, you that you can't get around that if you're going to be a pastor in a congregation. Mm-hmm. But it's not the only only thing skill. Um, there are other things that can be done that I think we would tend to excel at, and I think one of those is theology, theologizing, the thinking about the faith, um, yeah. in a way that sometimes we don't always do as well, um, as a, as a culture. And I think, um, the other thing is, is that we've had to learn how to quote unquote pass. Um, so we have to do a lot of acting and
1: you
0: know, <laughs> if, if we can, we, and we do that because we have to have some way of coping and some way of surviving, um. And I think, you know, if we can do that, I think we can do this. We can be pastors. It's not impossible.
1: And then, you know, I think especially what I've done with campus ministry is, you know, we have a, we have an autism club because a student kind of came up wanting social connections. So when I'm very open about my diagnosis, it's kind of free to college students, mm-hmm. in particular, to go, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, like... Uh, in the same way that being a gay pastor helps uh, in certain contexts, open doors uh, for people to, who would not normally trust a pastor or trust a church. Maybe this is a trustworthy or a safe place, you know? And, um, and I kind of always say, I mean, the reason I ended up in the church was ultimately, because I realized that demographically on almost every level, I shouldn't be. <laughs> you know um but theology is a lot of fun and admittedly theology was my entryway to even considering seminary and anything else but the other part was you know i when i did not socially succeed in uh school uh at church you just were welcome you were just a part of the youth group and you were just uh, the, you had a whole army of elderly women who would love on you as a, <laughs> as a kid. And you, so that feeling of safety in the church, I, you know, uh, is something I experienced. And, and one of the things that's so hard to read about, like the deconstruction stories, is when people don't feel that, that level of safety. Mm-hmm. But I felt more safe as an autistic kid at church than I did at school.
0: Really? Why, why do you think that was, that, it, that was?
1: Um, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, my one initial thought is all these kids I kind of grew up with. So maybe there was kind of familiarity. Like I said, the adults were just so happy with any kids that were around and especially any kids who expressed any interest in church life, yeah. uh, which I did. Uh, like I was the only kid who showed up for junior high Sunday school. I mean me and the Sunday school teacher, and we'd go get some donuts and try to talk theology and Bible. <laughs> and uh, so I think it was probably that. Um, and maybe it was just kind of the context of you're at church, so this is how you socially behave. Um, um and I would say I, I did well in high school because you could find your own subgroup. So before there mm-hmm. were. There was church group <laughs> and Sunday school, and those are pl- in church camp and uh, all vacation Bible school. But they were all kind of just geared towards how can we have students have a good experience, experience of being loved and supported, and that's kind of the logic.
0: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. um, so at least into high school, church was kind of like the the linchpin for me for all that. And yeah, the theology part is—I think that's big, big too. Just because, I—I um, uh, I think it's a challenge in the mainline church, anyways, to how to how to think through these religious categories. There's this weird relationship to the tradition, and and some of these words seem so foreign, and so I feel like a translator guide. <laughs> Here comes Emil, <the> <laughs> um, and. Uh, that are valuable. So I can see all those as strengths, you know, mm-hmm. um, strengths of ministry. I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, cause there was points in time, you know, especially in my twenties where I thought, I don't know why I should be in the church. And um, there was a uh, also, there's a wonderful stubbornness and autism. I mean, and in particular, it's okay to be different. And there's, even though that's a source of frustration, there can be a source of pride <laughs> In a good sense, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like I have this unique thing that's mine, um, and I have a feeling that's helped autistic kids and adults down the road to have those unique areas, and for me, probably churches is that too.
0: <laughs> so why do you mm-hmm. think that there hasn't been that much material about autism and faith? Um, and it seems like in some ways where I have read it is more and it, it's still not a whole lot but it seems to be as you said earlier more on the evangelical side that there's more understanding of that or picking it up more um,
1: yeah i my kind of um so that's a, I, that you know i've i've heard a lot of interesting kind of like theories and I'm not sure which one I, I want to kind of rest on, except to say that um, they've done some studies now, and, and it's moving targets, so it's hard to know where the consensus is, but they, when they've done studies, about about two-thirds of folks on the autistic spectrum were either atheists or agnostic, mm-hmm. which in the general population is more like 10, <laughs> 10%, right? Um, and so... And then the, the the biggest, the second biggest group are folks who are making it up on their own. You know, let me put the pieces together. There was, you know, the speculation, oh, well, you know, autistic people love fundamentalism. Strict rules, it's very clear. This is what's how you do things. Uh, but it can't be arbitrary rules or rules that don't make sense to the person on the spectrum. So putting it together yourself is a lot more intuitive than just somebody saying, yep, these are the rules. <laughs> this is what you're gonna believe and do. Um, so in some ways, I suspect there's been a lack of interest in autistic, especially adults, uh, because there is a, it hasn't always shown up so evidently in congregation in life, mm-hmm. uh, especially for adults, because so many adults just are not a part of churches. And outside of that, there's all the social skills required to be a part of church. <laughs> that can prove to be barriers. Um, But I think um, in the evangelical literature, I see much more often um, uh, a realization they have, they have young families
0: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) and those young families have kids and some of them are on the autistic spectrum and a realization that if they don't try to include those kids within the life of the church, you're going to lose the families and you're definitely going to lose those kids as they grow up. So the, the, the emphasis in evangelical circles is there. The only exception to this, and um, oh, I feel like I need to read more, John Swinton in the UK. It feels like the UK is just more advanced on
0: every level. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The UK is far ahead um, when it comes to all of this.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, John Swinton has tried to theologize thinking about autism, thinking about a wide range of disabilities and thinking about it for adults where I, I honestly think Lamar Hard Lamar's book might be the first one I've seen that deals with adults mm-hmm. in an evangelical context. And this book on Brazos press might be uh I haven't read it, but I think it's mainline. <laughs> and it's an adult writing it sharing their own stories. Hmm. Uh so I I should have done my homework and read it before beforehand, but <laughs> um, um, it just came out in the last month or so. Okay, well, that could know, be I a
0: topic can, of a future um, episode.
1: A future, so. yeah, just to kind of see worth that. Now, I had a a, a non uh, a, a not very generous take on the main line that because the main line not interested in selling uh, saving souls, uh, the impetus doing any number of ministries is kind of shot is not always there like you know uh, and, and a friend of mine noted that uh, for instance if you wanted churches that responded to the deaf you know um they're primarily going to be evangelical churches uh though apparently the missouri senate <laughs> has a very active deaf ministry
0: yeah. They do. yeah
1: so that could be a critique of the main line that you know it's the, the joy is i I don't feel like I have to save it any of my college. So I'm not there to convert them. It gives me access to students when they realize I'm not. They're not my project. But the logic of it can be double-edged sword. It can reduce the impetus to do the kinds of outreach and hard work mm-hmm. <laughs> to reach certain groups. Uh, if it feels like, it, especially if it feels like it's out there somewhere.
0: So where have you seen autism? Because you talked about this earlier, autism as a gift is it is it a gift or is it a barrier? And you kind of yeah. say it's a little bit of both, and I kind of agree with you. Where do you see it as a gift how How has it been a gift in your ministry?
1: Well, I think in the mo- the biggest way is just it sounds kind of weird about access uh, It is one of those things where Christianity in you know, the wider society uh, uh in blue america <laughs> um is a problem. is a barrier. Uh, it's 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 a reason to distrust. And uh, when I can share about my autism, it almost works in the same way that I can share about being gay, um, and the way that I've kind of sorted, related that to my faith journey, uh, it just opens doors of trust and community that wouldn't normally exist. Um, so that's been so that's been something I've kind of leaned on a bit, but uh, I. It almost always is a positive. It almost always opens doors that way, um, and boy, there's just so many autistic students on the campus who just just need that—just to see adults in their life who all you know uh, also have kind of wrestled with some of these things. Um, definitely, like I said, the interest in theology, um, and there is a kind of sense of, uh, finely high-tuned. Um, so, I think ever since I was a kid, I was just had a very. I could tell when somebody was not included. <laughs> I could just tell when the way people. This sounds like a a social skill, and it is. But somehow, I could just I could just tell uh, when uh, just the way people talk to somebody or about somebody or their physical interactions. My my ear would be t- tuned to that. And ever since I was a kid, those are the people I would seek out <laughs> and develop a connection with. So that um, I feel like that's a useful skill for ministry. You know, there's always, you know, you walk into a church and within five seconds, you know who runs the show and who has the power. And, <laughs> and sometimes that's a blessing. Some of those people are amazing. They do amazing work for the church. But, but obviously we know where the where the limitations happen with, with such individuals, but there's always folks who just aren't and being aware of who they are and their story and their life, um, I think has been an asset to, to ministry. Um, and, uh, I think the, I'm trying to think of one other, um, yeah, I, um, those are the initials. So I'll, uh, Those are the initial ones that come to mind, Um, and I suppose the flip side of the negative is, uh, um, like I said, I swear the biggest negative has been self presentation. I I just people just tell me how to dress, and I just accept that and do it (laughs) because I don't trust myself anymore. (laughs) You know, Uh, you know, like ministerial presence that was the phrase that you know when i was in seminary what is your ministerial presence how do you and how are you a non-anxious presence you know and i've got adhd and a a bit of anxiety and you know i you know i've had these injuries so being that uh i've actually had some levels of face blindness and definitely names just if somebody is not in church almost every week or i'm not following them on facebook I'm gonna forget their name. I've I've had weird incidents. Uh, what, has, what has been both good and bad has been because I'm in su- such a healthy context, I'm seen as transparent mm-hmm. and people trust me uh, and my intentions in ministry. Uh, I think when I was in a hostile environment, it also meant I couldn't read the cues when people were organizing against me. <laughs> I was oblivious. I was like literally hit sideways and I cuz I don't have uh that skill set to just notice uh people's uh people's appraisals of me, you know? Um so if they if they're nice and they shake my hand at church, I go, "Wow, they they must think the world of me." <laughs> And then you hear like, well, maybe not. They're just that they know how to present niceness in a certain way. And it doesn't always pan out in a board meeting. <laughs> but like I said, I've got a board that's just been so supportive and given me lots of leeway. And so right now that hasn't been an issue. But in the ministry, I, I think anybody on the spectrum, that's always hard. <laughs> if people are presenting two faces. hmm and I'm saying that without even insulting them. It's not like, how dare you be two-faced. It's more just like, they they know the social rules of how you behave at church, and they know how to organize. <laughs> yes. If they yeah. Want to. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I think that one of the things that has been positive is, um, you know, there's the verse in the Bible that says about loving, and in, in the gospels actually, about loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And that last part has always been something that's been meaningful to me um, is because as a kid, well, even as an adult, when people would say, you know, that to love them with our hearts, I didn't understand what that meant because it's Mm -hmm. like my actual physical heart. (laughs) heart. And so it meant something that um, the mind could be. Used for God because I think sometimes we have at least, especially in the history of the church, hasn't always been good about honoring um, the life of the mind. And I think having that, I think, has been helpful to see that that that's lifted up as well. And if there is anything about being on the spectrum is that you're inside your mind a lot. So
1: yeah, I there's a that was a a weird sense of that, too, when I was reading uh, Asperger's Inside and Out. or um, When I, I was in university for a period of time, when I was in college, and many of the students came from Pentecostal backgrounds, you know, and I grew up Presbyterian. <laughs> and so uh, they really would look at you to see, like, when you were in church or in worship, like, you know, how emotional are you? How... Expressive are you at this moment? And they would notice that I wasn't always as expressive as they were hoping. And then that would start to go. Well, wait a minute. Are you really into this? Maybe you're not really so Christian as we thought because we measured it by by expression. And I was a you know I was bummed. I was shame. I was disturbed that that was the case not at them, but at myself, and maybe I should be more. You know, I'm kind of a little bit beating myself up over it. And reading the autism, got, oh, I was beating myself up over a personality and a certain disposition of being in the world. Mm. Uh, it wasn't that I wasn't into it, but like you said, the life of the mind was the way that that expressed itself, not at this particular expressive moment. <laughs> in a, you know, evangelical service, for instance. And it doesn't mean that I was less Christian or less engaged in the moment. (laughs) But that took learning about Asperger's later on to go back to my younger self and go, oh, I wasn't doing it wrong. I just, yeah. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I suspect that in our social, political climate, the ability to Use reason in a certain way in life of faith will prove to be more important. <laughs> uh, it'll well, there'll be a recovery of it because um, because that hasn't been intended to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, has there been other kind of strengths that you've seen, especially parish ministry? And um, I
0: don't know I think that there has at least it used to be a challenge. For me, about preaching, but that's, I think, gotten easier the more I do it. Um, it, But it's still hard sometimes to, at least for me to, um, because I think the literal nature of everything. It's hard for me sometimes to play, for for lack of a better word, play with the text that you can, as as I think a lot of other pastors tend to do um, so i have to kind of give myself permission to do that um, and not always be so literal um, in, in presentation but i think those are challenges but i think other gifts is i think i don't know sometimes being able to kind of see things i won't say without emotion but kind of less emotional has been, I think, a help. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think sometimes when people get so caught up in emotion, they're not very, they're not thinking clearly. And I think for me, it's been helpful to be able to look at a situation and kind of talk about it. Um, and without kind of getting my emotions in there that can can kind of shut things down. And I think that that's that's been something I I see as a gift because I think you, sometimes you need to not have, especially in any, any ministry, you have to not always be incredibly emotional. You have to maybe for lack of a better word, somewhat detached. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's helpful. Um, At least it has been helpful for me.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I, and I, I'm not trying turning the word it's not a peacemaker, but but I definitely have diffused conflicts. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm a peacemaker in the sense of um, I don't know if I can get just get anybody you know who are who are utterly opposed. It's not that it's more like you said, there's this tension, there's this emotional conflict. Is there a way to just <coughs> talk, you know lay it out without that? you know, and uh, in a way that we can talk about it with, you know, kind of put that a little bit, some of the emotion to the side and just look at the situation. And yeah, I I can see where that has played a role. Um, and like you said too, I, yeah, I, I, boy, sermon writing when I first went to seminary, not sermon writing really, delivery. Delivery has been um, tricky and what is, but now I've been doing it for a while now, so, so I uh, I don't get that kind of feedback very often. If I have to do something impromptu, you know, Pat, because I've been doing a lot of guest preaching. So, mm-hmm. Pastor, we decided that you're going to do the children's moment and we're going to move it right here. Could you go ahead and do that? The children will be here in five minutes. <laughs> I, I can do it. I won't get emotionally flustered. And this is Fleming. Uh, and uh, so that's good, because that would have been an occasion when I was younger that I would have just not been able to work with And I can work with it now, but I can't say I produced my best product. <laughs> if it's not on paper and I haven't thought about it, and you throw something at me, it will, it will likely do. <laughs> but in terms of the sermon writing and delivery and all that, it's gotten a lot easier just because time.
0: Mhm. Well, What yeah. other gifts do you think you have found from,
1: from being on the uh, spectrum? In terms of uh, pastoring or just... Yep, in terms of ministry. My cats are fighting right now, so uh, could you repeat that one more time?
0: <laughs> Basically, what other gifts have you found um, for being on the spectrum in the ministry?
1: In the ministry, um. Well, I'm trying to think. um I think that kind of sense of transparency does help in terms of church organization and boards. Like I said, if you've got a board that's willing to work with you and uh, then that's the, the the idea that there isn't some sort of ulterior motion motive when I'm trying to do something that I'll tell you why I'm trying to do something pretty straightforwardly and and uh, mm. you know whether they'll agree or not, but at least. Uh, so it builds trust. Um, weirdly enough, uh, I think, even though I've not done a whole lot of work on this, any kind of youth programming kind of, I think, kind of is likely to work when I've been a part of it for that same reason. You know, I'm not trying to manipulate you kids, do X, Y, and Z, you know, and so they can build a trust and rapport. Um I think, um, like I said, I think I think it's more that it fed into the interest that I have, I have gifts in the life of the church. That I think developed because of autism, or at least it it um, got fueled by it. So the interest in like um, theology, for instance, because there isn't a sermon that I'm or prayer, anything that I'm not overthinking <laughs> in terms of what are the theological, you know, bits that I don't want to say anything that's not going to lead you, you know, uh, put that out there. Um, uh, I think that was partly autistic. I'll tell you a weird thing when you mention about computers and communications. I I had a fascination with that when I was a kid. I would design my own travel brochures I love travel brochures. I used to, I, 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 collect, I had, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of maps, but I, I was a map kid. I was, <laughs> I, I, and um. I always was visualizing, how do you present this idea? Or how does, you know, what would be, and I grew up in rural Eastern Montana. So I was like, I'm going to make a brochure that's going to make you think Terry, Montana is the most amazing place. And, and it, it it has its its charms, but there's no way to sell it <laughs> as, a, as a community. But as a kid, it like, really, really interests me. And so it's been this, even though I have don't have any technical proficiency, whenever it's making a website, making a newsletter, uh, doing you know, the kind of reports that I put out for UCM to our I I always, I'm into it, and I usually get some compliments off of it. And I think it's just been, that's not autism, but the fact that I got into it as a kid and that was this thing driving thing, my autism helped mm-hmm. in whatever it is that you're into. <laughs> so to the degree that the things you're into fit with life of the church. Um, I also discovered one other feature, which is a side thing, which I, uh, we tried discussion is that. Uh, I'm actually pretty decent on many social interactions when it's church. One of the things that I have discovered is that uh, if I'm in a different context that I don't have an interest in or a background in or knowledge of, I don't display those same skills. (laughs) So, So put me in church or political stuff, or music, or there's certain kind of things that I'm interested in, and boom, I'm in there, and I'm having great social, getting energy and doing all that, and the moment they're like, yeah, we're gonna, we want you, we're gonna do this, that, total different context, like uh, social occasions with church members outside of the church. (laughs) I'm just like, my social skills (laughs) is, so I don't know if that's a gift, and curse it's but i uh, i realized it's a gift in the sense of because i know the church and i've spent my life in it i know how to socially negotiate that space really well <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is an odd thing to say about somebody on the spectrum but <laughs> i i literally my right when we were on vacation my adoptive dad we went to church mm-hmm. which apparently it comes up everyone's on twitter like really like every sunday <laughs> unless I was sick or they were sick every Sunday, it was just a part of my life. So yeah, that's, that's proved useful. (laughs) I don't know, is there anything, if that fits with your experience?
0: (laughs) Yeah, there is some negotiation that has to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, I haven't, I think in, in more recent times, I haven't really shared as much in church about my diagnosis. I think partially just for, again, bad experiences in the past. So I don't kind of bring it up as much, Um, but it's kind of trying to do what you can. And um, there are still challenges. I think one of the biggest challenges is um, phones still, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of the job sometimes is is using phones and I'm still trying to kind of get more used to that um, that a lot of people do still communicate on phones as a phone is to be used and um, you know I, and, and things like checking voicemail I don't know why that has always been a challenge for me but it has um, mm-hmm. I think partially because it's trying to Remember something or track something, and it's just hard um, to keep track of all of it. So it's just I don't like to do it. Um,
1: yeah, I've had it. I recognize all of this.
0: <laughs> I, I I figured you would.
1: Yeah, uh, I also I have a it's a gift and a not a gift. Uh, I get easily overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And. So, so I have developed a highly skilled set uh, or skills of I just focus on what I need to focus on, which is a great skill set. And when we were putting together a dinner we had over a hundred people and you know we had auction items of the speaker and bringing and figuring out the menus. It was a lot. And um, but there was but so that when somebody else is going, hey, pay attention to me. My voicemail call or an email that is really important, I'm going to get back to it. I'm just like, nope, that's gone. That doesn't exist. And it, for the most part, it's a good skill set, but I have made things drop. I've dropped things, I mean, because it was important. I needed to check that voice. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it is. I yeah, there's those kind of things where you're like you're like it's a good skill set to go I it, it, the metaphor for when I was working at a motel as a night auditor I asked my boss I can get if someone wants to do a reservation what I asked I asked my boss was I need to give everything to that person which means I can't answer or put them on hold and pick up somebody else and since it was night audit, they didn't care because you're not getting a ton of phone calls you know, for reservations at night like that, uh, but it did happen. And the person in front of me loved it. Or even when, I'm not even good at acknowledging when I'm at the front desk that there's a line. And I'm just with that one person. I'm giving them my everything. <laughs> and they love it. And then everybody else is kind of a little bit miffed because they thing didn't get the attention. <laughs> so, anyways, phones and phones have this kind of feel of um, I don't know what the word is. Uh there um, but there there is a you know, kind of like almost annoying kind of the obligation, even if it's a good obligation and a serious one, the fact that it comes through a phone call or a message. And I'm just like, I almost feel, I'd unhapp- you know, like, how dare you message me? <laughs> Where if it's person to person, I'll 100%. Yeah. But the moment I get this external other thing, I'm just like, oh should I answer this email that was sent to me this last week? Oh, shoot, it's been over a week now. (laughs) (laughs) Then you get anxiety about that, which actually makes you less inclined to.
0: (laughs) Yep, yep, yep.
1: (laughs) Anyways, yeah, I totally get that. I totally get what you're saying there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And also because older... Older folks, yes. In particular, elderly, the phones are important.
0: Yeah, and that's that's something you really can't you can't ignore. Um, yeah, I have older people in my congregation. You know, they have email addresses, but they are probably not checking it as much as I would. Um, so you you just have to call. And I think with for me, it's just trying to kind of remember what I need to say, what I need to try to talk about, and just kind of. I mean, it sounds horrible to someone who isn't on the spectrum, but it's it's basically having to just get through it and um, to, to, to do it. Because it's important to that other person. Um, even if I don't think it makes any sense, it, it does matter to that person. And I have to try to do the best that I can.
1: Well, and then uh, this is kind of a running joke too, but I'm like, and then the voicemail, and I'm like, I've actually just now. I say like, "Oh, I'm, I call a pastor. They're not in. Well, I can just give it to voicemail. Um, why don't you just write a note to say I called?" Because <laughs> I the phone, I'm going to ramble in a weird way and not know when to shut. The...
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And then it's, by that point, it's, you know, the the message is over, and you haven't yeah. even gotten to your point.
1: Yeah, voicemail or ending the call or just interrupting the other person because they're on the phone and you're talking to them and that like maybe I it, this maybe I do pick up on cues because when I'm talking to a person in person, I feel like I'm getting some of that. And there can be this natural flow. And when I'm on the phone, I get no natural flow. I might talk over somebody. I'm like oh, is this a good time to say goodbye now? <laughs> no, I don't know. About it. <laughs> oh, shoot, you're still talking. I am, I'm so sorry that you're talking. I continue. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Bones, have that? Well,
0: this is actually, it makes me think about another thing is because I think one of the things that pastors have to learn to be adept at is small talk. And yeah. that has been hard. I mean, I I think I'm learning, but it's 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 never made sense to me, anyway. Um, mm-hmm. That's and most people who are on the spectrum, it doesn't make sense to them at all. But it's also a vital part of 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 ministry. You have to learn how to kind of just talk about life, and even in ways that don't necessarily relate exactly to the the reason you're talking to them.
1: Yeah, you know that's an interesting. I I hadn't thought about that, but. <laughs> The more I think about it, I think you're right. I think I could do it with college students because I was in grad school forever. (laughs) I don't recommend this route. I I really wanted Bernie to win and my student loans forgiven, but that's another side story. So I I went to school for a very long time. Um, And so the point is, it's not that to say, yeah, it is kind of scripts, but I kind of know. I know what it's like to be a grad student. I know what it's like to be an undergrad. I know what it's like when you're right. I mean there's a big chemistry test and the vice president of the LGBT group is freaking out a bit about the about the chemistry test and I can, you know, I I can solicit that and when I've been doing parish ministry or like when I've been doing pulpit supply, I'm I'm less adept because mm-hmm. <laughs> their lives don't look like college student lives. And so I don't have a lot of scripts, you know. Um Unless it's church stuff. But if it's church stuff, that's great. But I mean, like you said, the kind of stuff of, well, how's your horses doing? I don't know. <laughs> to be Montana example. <laughs> um, oh, I heard you went hiking somewhere, hunting somewhere. I, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of scripts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because Jim and I, you know, we, we I don't know, our our life doesn't always look like <coughs> parishioners' lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: And what's funny is not to say these are related, but uh, the ones that are most like our lives are other gay people. So, so, mm-hmm. so some of the scripts work for gay people uh, in a way that a heterosexual family may it, it wouldn't.
0: <laughs> so, uh, I think this is kind of, I want to make it kind of a closing question, but it's, it's a, Mm -hmm. there are obviously people right now that are going through seminary Mm -hmm. and they may either have already been diagnosed with this Asperger's autism, or at some point down the road, they will be. Um, Yeah. um, What do you say to these people? What, what word of advice or hope would you want to give to them?
1: Oh, sure. Well, I, I, I'm interested in this. I do have some follow-up questions that might yeah be- yeah. yeah. My guest, too. Boy, um, I would say that I got mixed encouragement in seminary. Um, so, I mean, some people really could see my gifts. Other people were really worried about my presentation style and Asperger's and whether it wouldn't undermine my ministry. Uh, my experience has been, it's been a net plus. It's not been a net negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my also experience on the spectrum is that it took me a long time to believe in myself and believe in my ability to do ministry. <laughs> um. And so if there's, I don't know if there's a word of hope to say, um, the imposter syndrome will go away, first of all, uh, I think, and uh, you really can do it. And you have this unique set of gifts. And if you if if you're run into any kind of roadblocks, I mean, well, the, how to say this, uh, this is not being clear, but you know, like, so a lot of times autistic people learn the social skills. They just learn it later. And it mm-hmm. might be, a, but it's not like you don't learn it. So you may be, if you do run into roadblocks and you're in seminary or you're in uh, your internship and you're like, wow, I'm not that great at preaching. I just messed up the social situation. How in the heck could I possibly do this? Uh, know that you can. <laughs> do, do not use seminary as the measure. Um, mm-hmm. And Uh, because you will just get good at this, and because you have this unique life history and set of gifts, there's a reason you were called to seminary, there's a reason you felt this call in you, and to really lean on that, and you will get some of the validations, but I mean, maybe the last thing would be to find those validations and find those contexts that will honor your gifts, Um, because there's enough self-doubt. <laughs> Even when you're in seminary uh, and ministry, it, it's useful to have some cheerleaders along the way. Um, so that would be, I don't, <laughs> don't want to say, it gets better, but it really does. It does. I think, yeah.
0: I think it does get better.
1: Um, you
0: know, there are always going to be challenges, but I think over time you you learn. And, and I think you also learn what, you do well, what mm-hmm. you don't do as well. And, you know, it, I think it just takes time.
1: And, and by the way, that's maybe an additional part is um, when I first looked for a church job, I was very lucky and I found a great church. Um, but I, my questions were, will you hire me? And can I make it, can I make enough to get by? <laughs> now, I, Now that I've been doing ministry well, I have much more specific, questions and what i same thing like i know certain contexts where my personality and my skill set and even my asperger's will be welcomed as gifts in certain churches mm-hmm. and contexts and there are some that they just will not and one of the nice things that's as you get older is you have a better ear for that uh so the chances of you having a study that will support you We'll, in your ministry, will just, will grow in time, um, because you'll just know these are the contexts I thrive in, <laughs> and, and and not, you know, mm-hmm. like, for instance, I'm in a campus ministry that's kind of small and rural, and it's really relational, and people knowing each other through the local church, uh, and, and the students, it's very small, informal community, it's very different than if I was, if I was supposed to be a big fundraiser. Who had to impress big donors. I don't think I ever could.
0: <laughs> I don't have
1: to. I just have to be able to work with students and get along with church people. And so this ministry has been just feeding on my strength. But not every campus ministry could do that. Um, but there are churches out, but there are churches for you <laughs> on the spectrum. <laughs> And 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 amazing in the sense of what gifts you can bring to that. So, my question uh, for uh, I always wondered uh, if if uh, it's not going to be uniform in any way, uh, but as I see an increased number of folks, especially on Twitter, who either claim uh, either either being on the spectrum or being neurodiverse, it makes me wonder. And I felt a lot of folks who are in seminary that way. Um, I wonder if theology will look different if autistic people do it. So thinking of liberation, you know, it's like there's a difference from your social location to what kind of theology you would produce. And I'm, I kind of want somebody to write that book.
0: <laughs> well, I think I it would be. I, I think it's yeah. going to be somewhat different in how, just because our our, our outlook is a little bit different, mm-hmm. uh, it's a little bit more cerebral. Um, mm-hmm. I would, yeah, I, I, I think I would be curious to see how that would would too. I, I think it would be different and I think, but I just don't know, you know, to what extent would it be different? Um, mm-hmm. But I think it would be. I think it, it would be a different way of looking at faith um, that we have that people aren't always used to seeing. Um, I think it would be a bit like I said before, less probably less emotional, but more. Mm-hmm. I could see it being more logical or more philosophical, mm-hmm. um, and and that's not to to say that the the concepts of faith won't be included in that. Yeah, but I think it'll it'll just come. I think it's going to be coming from a different direction. Um, than what it would usually be from from people who are neurotypical.
1: Yeah, I just, uh, I kinda, if I had an idea, I, I run into, especially there's some Jewish rabbis who are on the spectrum and I'm just, I always wondered like, I wonder like, maybe what you do is like a theology anthology. From folks on the spectrum, and maybe it wouldn't look uh, dramatically different, but just a way of highlighting certain voices in, in, the, in, in, in ministry settings. And it, it, with the value be it, oh, look at I see that there are pastors and rabbis and, and Christian ed, ed directors. and
0: <laughs> Yeah, I, I would be curious to see how that, um, and who knows, maybe in a few years we will start to see that more. I think for a long time we haven't partially because this wasn't talked about as much. Um, You had mentioned earlier that it wasn't in the DSM until I think it was 94. Um, Yeah. So no one really even had a language for it until 30 years ago. So um, I could see it happening more. Um, My guess though is because where we will see it happening first Will be in two places. Mm-hmm. Um, one would be the UK, as we yeah. discussed earlier, and then yeah. second within evangelical circles. Those are those are the places you'll see it first, um, but then it will move on
1: to other parts of of, of, of Christianity. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Um, and interesting, there is a, a, a Catholic priest I follow on the spectrum, and I don't think we agree on anything politically, but. It, Theologi- it's always interesting to see his posts that I follow him on Twitter. Um, um and to see a Catholic priest reflect on what the autism looks like in that context. You know, see it. Yeah, it's kind of curious, but I could see I could see that trajectory going just that way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, who knows? Did you have another oh, question?
1: Oh, um, well, okay, so I did, and the, and the second one is um, I never I did not know how to answer. There's a, a guy I just need to connect you to on Facebook, James Matthew Barnum. So we mm-hmm. started an adult autism group when I was in Oklahoma, and uh, he is connected with the Humanistic Jewish Movement, and he's now he helps put together their magazine, and he's wanting he's on the spectrum himself, and uh, he is thinking through aloud. Um, there might be two sets of questions. One is what, how, how can faith communities be supportive of folks in leadership on the spectrum, um, which is usually what's in my head. Though I think broader to how would you support lay people as well, and anybody on the spectrum, where you know how would they feel uh, that this worship space included them? And he asked me for ideas, and I have to admit, I, I have it, I have minor sensory issues. They're they're not the first thing people notice. Uh, The social awkwardness they notice, right? (laughs) But but sensory is not, you know, so you have the image of the kid with the earphones and the sanctuary because the music's too loud or or explaining the transitions. We're doing this, but now we're gonna move to here. But I don't really feel like I'm adept yet at thinking especially um, for adults. When I've talked to adults who have, have a lay people on the spectrum, uh, it's what to do with socialization, social hour, coffee hour, um, or what's allowed or not allowed in the sanctuary. You know? I had an autistic grad student who would just sigh in the middle of the sermon at just the right moment. <laughs> uh, and it was not about the sermon. It was him checking into his own body, but uh, everybody else would give them that look. <laughs> I'll connect you to, but I'm, I, haven't, I I I feel like uh, there's some work being done on it, but I don't feel like I bring a, that much knowledge necessarily to it. Outside yeah. of, yeah.
0: I think one of the things that would, would need to be done, I think within the church, um, probably in the wider society but it that there needs to be a lot more grace yeah because I think the thing that with with people on the spectrum is that they're going to make mistakes and they're going to do things that will bother people or or get on people's nerves and I think it's to understand that they're trying and um if they do something that kind of bugs you, it's not necessarily that they're trying to do it on purpose or to be mean. I think they're just trying to figure out life. And um, I you know, I think that's that maybe the one thing that I wish I would have had um, in my early years as a minister is a little bit more grace and understanding um, yeah. that I'm not a weirdo, or maybe I am, but you know.
1: But it can be incorporated. I, I mean, well, yeah, but it can be yeah. incorporated.
0: And that it's, <laughs> it's okay. I think it's, that's the thing that I think we need to hear more, hear of, yeah. especially.
1: Yeah, well, and just as a, with that vein that um I didn't appreciate, but it's become a central focus also of my ministry. Um, I, because I'm not always good at registering my own emotions, you know, but I, I, uh, and going, that's what that feeling is, and that's what that feeling is, but as I've gotten older, I look back and realize I just had a tremendous lack of self-confidence ever since I was a kid. And mm-hmm. and I feel like what I do in college ministry is now just is me doing affirmation <laughs> and say, you really are valuable. I mean, you have these really, you're a unique person that brings these gifts. And we're so glad. As John Swinton says, oh, love says, I'm glad you exist. And I'm glad you're here. <laughs> and having folks believe that and feel that kind of sense. Yeah. And I didn't realize how much, like you said, that I was missing that when I was younger.
0: Yeah. Cause I, you know, and, and that does affect your your self-confidence a lot. You don't think you can but you're smart enough or anything. And I think it's 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 important to tell people that they're valued
1: and that um that they're my, loved. Yeah, in my first church, I had a woman come up to me after a sermon, and she patted me on the chest, and she said, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And I still remember that moment, like, <laughs> all through ministry, that, that one moment. <laughs> Kinda, well,
0: that had to mean a lot.
1: Yeah, it was like, it just for whatever reason, the right moment, I needed to hear something like that. <laughs> So yeah.
0: Well, this has been a good conversation, and I kind of don't think it will be the last one um,
1: on this. I'd love this to matter, continue. So. It, yeah. So. Um. Uh, no, definitely let's do this again.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: And I was going to ask things, but that may uh, involve uh, might not be in your podcast. Okay. No, nothing personal. I just stuff I wanted to like show you things. <laughs> okay. Uh, well uh what is my husband? If he's he might be working on a sermon. Oh, he's he, oh, I think he went out. Anyways, I was gonna inter- have you met Jim before or talked to him? No, I, haven't. I think you're Facebook friends with him. Mm-hmm. I am okay. Um, so besides the two kids, I was just gonna introduce you to Jim, I'm like, oh, you should say hi. <laughs> um, but yeah, so how do you do your podcast like when you do you have to go through and edit stuff or do you just uh, um, and then kind of post post uh, or how do you like how do you normally do it
0: well um, a lot of it is there is some editing Um, if I'm doing it like here um, depending sometimes i just maybe do some edit that's things that probably shouldn't be in the podcast that you can can take out but it doesn't take a huge amount of time the other part of part of that is that I usually create a beginning part and an ending part. And so then I have to write up a script for that and then record it. Okay. Um, but other than that, it's not a huge long process because I already have kind of the basis of, of the episode as a template. And so I you know for the music and all of that. So I just kind of put things in and then kind of make sure it rearrange things so that they, adjust and so that they work properly and um, hit things at the right time and that's that's it
1: no that's great well I'll, I'll, I'll let me know when you when you post it but
0: uh I will and, definitely
1: uh, no that'd be great and and uh let's see I'll show you email here this is our I, we've got um tuxedo cat oh <laughs> I love tuxedo cats <laughs> it's my first one um he's great though lots of personality um and yeah we want to do this again sometime but um or pick up a different let me find that book title just so that you have it um, um there's two books two books on autism i haven't read books on autism in a long time actually uh like i read a flurry of them for years mm-hmm. and especially when i've been working with college students there's a lot of young adult autism books and life skills books that I read, but it's been a few years. And I don't know, but we're not broken changing the autism conversation with Eric Garcia.
0: I've heard about that one. I've heard him being interviewed. It's a very good one.
1: Yeah, and I so that. And then this is the one on religion. Okay. On, on the spectrum, autism, faith, and the gifts of neurodiversity. He is an author, poet, associate professor of English at Taylor University.
0: And it's at John Swinton.
1: No, Daniel Bowman Jr. Okay. Daniel Bowman Jr. Okay. Good
0: to know I'm looking
1: that. At Sarah Bessie endorses it. I'm trying to look at the I don't recognize the names. <laughs> um besides that that's Brazos Press. So I don't know if it's a mainline or evangelical or so you know, kind of you know hovering on that. On Brazos that kind of
0: hovers on the, the borders of the two.
1: That's what I kind of was imagining. Um and then who's the... What was the name you just asked about?
0: Lisa, I what brought up John Swinton.
1: Yeah, John um, Swinton. Yeah, I'm kind of curious because I, uh, yeah, he's been a, I've really, I mean, I love listening to his lectures and I have a book on of his that I've read partly through on dementia mm-hmm. and um, and I know that he's got, a, there's a book out there on autism that I've only seen him give some lectures on it. I haven't really read anything but it just strikes me as somebody that i ought to be reading more of
0: <laughs> yep i get it yeah yeah <laughs> all right
1: uh, well thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate this
0: okay i do too all right take care Thanks. see you, you good about it but it's something that you don't hear much on much uh, media and this is a way of getting that news about this tradition out there and if you do uh, sign up either leaving a rating or a review it makes it a lot easier for someone who may be trying to find stuff like this to find it so if you can please do that and especially if you can do that on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, that will be helpful. Also, make sure that you can visit our website at nrootpodcast.org. While you're there, you can sign up to get on the mailing list of the newsletter. You can listen to past episodes. You can read some articles that I've written, and you can also uh, leave a donation. Uh, Do all of that. You can do all of that at the website at nrootpodcast.org. So that is it for this episode of En Route, a journey on religion and modern life. I am Dennis Sanders. I've been your host. Take care. Godspeed. And we will see you again soon.